I was able to catch up with Saul this past weekend. I visited him at one of my favorite venues, Philadelphia Distilling, where he works on Sundays. We shared in our grief over the recent loss of a Philadelphia institution, a Don Trinidad, chef, friend, father, and all-around wonderful human. I want to extend my deepest condolences to his friends and family during this incredibly difficult time. And if you visit any of the three Pistola's locations, be extra kind and tip extra generously. Saul shared with me he had personally experienced even more loss, including a friend from college who recently passed due to cancer. A reminder that you never know what someone else is going through. In this episode, Saul talks about the loss of his father and the time that he spent at home after almost a year of being apart from his family due to the pandemic. But he also talks about the influence his father has had on his love of cooking and how he approaches ingredients to make his absolutely delicious cocktails. During the pandemic, Saul competed in various cocktail competitions, including Power of the Palate, a national competition created by Black Restaurant Week. As of the recording of this episode, he was competing for the Eastern Regionals, in which he advanced and made it all the way to the Elite Eight. While Saul did not advance to the Final Four, he's still one of the most talented bartenders I know and just a joy to be around. If you stop by Philadelphia Distilling, he currently has a fantastic cocktail on the menu called Venture with a Pistol, made with Blue Coat American Dry Gin, Turkish apricot, sparkling wine, and Urfa beaver. That last ingredient I had to Google, but it's a dried Turkish chili pepper from the Urfa region of Turkey. This will all make so much more sense as you listen to Saul talk about his ingredients and his inspiration. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the following episode, Cocktails and Community, Respecting Your Ingredients with Saul Thomas. My guest today is Saul Thomas, one of my favorite bartenders here in Philadelphia. Uh, he works at two amazing cocktail spots uh, in the Fishtown area, one of them being R&D, as well as Philadelphia Distilling. Um, he's also very, very involved in cocktail competitions, which we are absolutely going to dive into later on in the episode. And I've always just been such a huge fan of his, but it made that much more sense when I read the words that you had put in your bio. Um, I've recently kind of been working on my own core values and realized that both personally and professionally, um, I am all about hospitality, collaboration, and humor. And, you know, things that were very important for you were power of connection. Laughter is the shock absorber of life. You love to seek out people and experiences that bring you joy and, you know, your advice to just believe in yourself, be present, take chances. I'm, I'm literally buying everything that you're selling and will continue to do so. Um, we met back in, I guess it would have been 2016. Um, at the time I was working for a local beer wholesaler in Philadelphia and you had moved here to open up the newest location for Destination Dogs, a spot that, uh, the original location is in New Brunswick. New yes. Jersey. And so I had uh, several of my brewery reps who covered both um, parts of Pennsylvania as well as New Jersey. And so they had already worked with you, worked with the owner. Um, and so it's MG, you got to you got to get in here. You got to meet these guys. And <laughs> so did. And I was like, here's our portfolio. You guys were so kind and brought in a bunch of my stuff even invited me to friends and family. And, you know, it, it just blossomed from there. So even when I was no longer in the beer industry, no longer working in sales, still loved coming into Destination Dogs and visiting you. So, and, you know, then the pandemic hit and. <laughs> yep. 
So like a hammer, <laughs> like, like a hammer. So, you know, tell me about your time at destination dogs and uh, you know, whose idea was it for the frozen aviation cocktail? Because you well know that that was one of my favorite things. And one of the things I oh, kept yeah. coming back for the frozen aviation was crazy. It was a really cool thing. It was something actually that we started talking about back in New Brunswick before we opened up the Philadelphia location. Uh, Jimmy, who's the head chef uh, and one of the main creative guy behind the concept and owner of Destination Dogs, uh, had an idea for that. He actually, uh, including everyone else who was an owner of the company, were all bartenders in New Brunswick originally. They worked at a pretty well-known place. Um, oh, my gosh. What's the name of the place? I remember, I'm blanking on the name now. Oh, man. It's a martini bar. Ooh, this is crazy. I don't know. In, place, in New Brunswick? Because I, yeah. I am not Clyde's. familiar. It's called Clyde's. Clyde's, okay. yes. Okay. I know it was someone's name. Clyde's with a Z. So Clyde's is a little popular spot um, on on a, like kind of off the main drag, right off the main drag in the center of New Brunswick. And a lot of the industry people in New Brunswick went there for cocktails. Very popular happy hour spot. And so it became kind of a following for them. These kids, these guys, when they were kids, were going to school at Rutgers and then got jobs in the industry. And state of the industry and they eventually left uh, after building reputation as you know popular neighborhood bartenders started other businesses and came back with this concept of destination dogs so i at the time was living in new brunswick working part-time retail at manor public taking classes at Rutgers, studying uh, cell biology and neuroscience with the intention of becoming a neuroanesthesiologist and i was super into food i had started doing these private uh, events with my buddy jack way back in college, back when I was in Kenyon College before Rutgers. So Jack is from Gladwin, right outside of Philly. And so when I moved back to Philadelphia, sorry, to New Brunswick, to New Jersey, Jack was back in Philly. He was working as a chef in local restaurants. And he started kind of this city garden in the plot next to his apartment up, up here in my neighborhood where I currently live in Northern Liberty's Fishtown area. And I would come down from New Jersey and help Jack kind of cultivate this plot of land. And we would do these little dinners. These, we called them beer dinners with our buddy Jeff Ramirez, who at the time was a junior brewmaster at Iron Hill Brewery in Maple Shade, New Jersey. I believe Jeff currently runs his own brewery in D.C. called Denizens. I've looked him oh, up recently. Okay. But mm-hmm. Yeah, so he that's his, that was his passion, the beer side of things. And Jack and I were all about food. I, food was something that I got passed down as a passion from my family, from my father mainly, and from my mom as well. Hospitality a lot for my mom, cooking for my dad. So Jack and I would cook these meals for random groups of people, sometimes at his house and often at little spots that were closed on like a Monday or Tuesday, which is often happens in our industry. So some places are currently closed, some places are still open. Especially so we did now, little, there's a lot of places yeah. that are closed Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. And before that, it was kind of a popular time to be closed. That was a slower time for smaller restaurants. So there was a place called Sonata that was up here in the, in the Piazza area that we cooked at a lot because his friend Mark Trapea was the chef proprietor there. Uh, I think Mark currently does some stuff with the museum right now on their uh, catering side. And we did things at Sam's Morning Glory. We did things all over the city. And we would I would come down from Jersey. Jack and I would prep the food for the dinner, cook uh, entree courses, uh, like a full for full like kind of prefix menu. So it was anywhere from I think the smallest number of courses was seven largest with like a muse bouche were 14. Good and movie. we would pair each one with a different beer or beverage. And it was cool because we took this kind of wine dinner thing and made it more casual, definitely more Philadelphia. Philly's always been a big beer city. And we use a lot of Jeff's beer knowledge and our our total knowledge to kind of create this cool casual experience for our friends and extended network. And then after we were done, we'd clean up, you know, clean up the spot after serving. And I would go out with Jack and Jeff 
out to Philadelphia and visit all these bars and restaurants. And I fell in love with the Philadelphia uh, hospitality scene back then. This was before 2016. This was started back in 2009. Oh, so wow. I've been coming to Philadelphia okay. in about, since 2009 doing these things. And I actually had a small portfolio of photos because Jack would sometimes have his photographer friends come to these events of the things that were going on. So during the actual event, when I wasn't helping Jack cook, I was kind of the maitre d' for the event. So greeting everyone and explaining the dishes and why we paired things. And Jeff would sometimes be there to talk about the beer pairing specifically. And I showed them kind of the photos of me, that work, that that volunteer work, really. It was me helping Jack build up his catering business that he loves. Um, and on the strength of that portfolio, quote unquote, I was hired at Destination Dogs to work. So when I got the chance to come to Philadelphia with them, I jumped at it. I, like I had to do it. I worked my way up uh, bar backing for about two and a half years, longer than I needed to, but you know, there weren't any spots available. Uh, and I found someone to hire to take up my old position as working the door on weekends as a bouncer. And they made me after two and a half years, a bartender and a manager. So they wanted me to manage here to get ready for the management role coming into Philadelphia. And thankfully I'd already met Ryan who was in Philly and he had a network here. He's an amazing part of our community here with uh, with Left Hand Brewing. Shout out to Ryan Vaughn on Left Hand. And we met, I met UMG. I was seeing that connection. And, uh, you know, Ryan is a dear friend. I, I, I stayed with them for a while when I first moved here. They were kind enough to let me uh, live at their ha- house for a little bit when they were down uh, in South Philly on Wharton Street. And that was right when they were getting married. So I left shortly after that found another place. <laughs> thank you for yeah. letting me crash here i'm gonna go find my own place now yeah thank you. well the wild thing about that is that another side interesting anecdote about me moving to philadelphia is that i've been saving up all this money to move here and then you know i mean among the many many woes of opening a new restaurant uh the people who decided who were hired to deal with i think the hvac system in our kitchen made a major screw up so our opening was delayed from may to september so I had to find a way to keep working in New Brunswick after I already got out of my lease for those extra months. Uh, a lot of things happened. Long story short, I ate up a lot of my savings. Uh, some of it went into a car that died on me. I've had to push it through the toll in the middle of July that year on the way to work. Uh, and I had and I was living in Westfield with some other friends. Like some kind of karmic reality really worked out for me where I lived at my friend's house in their basement and I had to commute to work, but the commute was serious. I was commuting from um, we, the, from Westfield to New Brunswick every day. How far so is that early. for someone who's not familiar with New Jersey? It's like 30 minutes maybe or so. Not so far, but it is far if you don't have a car. It's annoying if you don't uh, have a car. And I didn't have a car at the time. My okay. brother let me a car that was not great, basically. It failed me. <laughs> so I put a lot of money into trying to keep that car alive, but it was basically, it, it died. Like the mechanics told me after I already put a lot of money into repairs, that it wasn't worth any more money. So I said, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. So then I was commuting. I was waking up early, catching the train, taking an Uber to the train at railway station, the train down a few stops to New Brunswick. And then I would walk to work. But on the way back, as I was usually bar backing or I was, I was closing the bar at that point, I wouldn't get out until after 2 a.m. because we were open to two every day. So I would get out at sometimes three after we done closing. The train was not running. So I was forced to Uber back from New Brunswick to Westfield. Like a half hour Uber ride adds up every day that I work. And I work a lot of days. So I came to Philadelphia with way less money than I uh, originally had because it it, it kind of zapped a lot of the travel and commuting to work. And some friends of mine whose parents lived in uh, Philadelphia who are doctors, uh, the backstory of that, which is also brief, is that I was in their daughter's wedding and I was asked to 
uh, kind of watch their house while they were on their honeymoon. It's also, they were staying with their parents at the time. And this happened, their their wedding was right before Hurricane Irene. So, oh, okay. so they got married. They went on their honeymoon. Irene hit New Jersey and the, and the uh, you know, mid-Atlantic region. And I, they, they were, the doctors were, the parents were in Philadelphia working and they couldn't get back because of the weather. So they had a generator on the side of the gas and I kept that going with gas that I was buying from the nearby gas station that I was able to get to and kept their house from being flooded because they were wow. in like a flood zone. So all their wedding presents from their wedding and all their like childhood memories were in this basement in their house. And I was there at their house, keeping everything like dry, basically like just checking the weather, checking the gas lines for a couple of days when we had serious rain. So, and, and, and since they were, they were so grateful for that, that they let me stay with their, them in Philadelphia rent free in old city for the first, I want to say six months. That's so amazing. I was, I was here rent free living in old city and walking, commuting to work in center city. And like, it was a great life. And I saved them. I, I regained my savings doing that. So I wasn't paying rent. And we all know how expensive Old City can be. <laughs> and it's a wonderful historic part of town, but it adds up. It's, it's a pricey place. Not a lot of industry folks live there because of that. Um, so I was lucky, fortunate to live there. And I used the extra money I earned doing that to go out as a new restaurant manager, as a new bartender, to spend that money at bars and show love that way by tipping heavy at my friend's bars. So I started to build up Destination Dogs as an industry location with my own energy. And then thankfully the owners were all about that vibe, having been in the industry themselves, not absentee owners that were very involved. So we had an aggressive happy hour. We had awesome cocktails. Uh, we had, we brought in some ideas that we had from New Brunswick down there. And we kind of wanted to mirror the beer program of being mostly about cans and some really awesome rotating drafts, really av- lots of options available for everybody. Something for everybody to come in and sit down at the same bar and be happy and be satisfied with the beverage choices. And the food is amazing. Very casual, approachable food, late night kitchen, which was great for our, industry brethren and sisters so it was an amazing spot you know and i started getting into the cocktail scene of things more through that you know i'd always had a passion for beer and so the first task i was given was to take over the beer program and then working with destination dogs people and seeing how that you really move behind the bar and what you can do with these really cool ingredients started spurring on a passion for making cocktails so that's definitely where it started in a major way and one of those, what, and I think you remember the name of the cocktail at the friends and family. I had a whole yeah. lot of the, was it Chinard and Feathered? Is that what it was yeah. called? And it was Chinard and Feathered. Yeah. It was delicious. So it was yeah. um, the initial uh, cocktail menu pretty similar to what they were doing in New Brunswick or did. Yeah. So the, the first cocktail menu was a mirror of that because they were, they were actually testing the franchisability of Destination Dog. So. Initially, you know, they get thinking kind of like people have like, oh, is this a chain? Like, no, it's not a chain. There's only one place in New Brunswick. We're, we're a new spot here. You may have heard of us if you're from this like kind of general region because um, we'd got a little bit of buzz about that. But Chenard and Feather was a, a creation of Bonnie, uh, who's awesome. She's a manager up at Destination Dogs that they currently still uh, She's engaged <laughs> to Michael Parker, one of the owners. And it was a more bitter Negroni, basically. So we did, we used gin, we uh, used the red opportunity, we used Campari, and we split uh, Fernet and Chinar in the cocktail as well, uh, with some Angostura bitters and some citrus bitters and a little bit of lemon as a zest. And it's really, really, really good, you know, like kind of played up the Amari aspect and like really gave this vegetal compound, a little depth to this bitterness of Negroni. Negronis are great on their own, but this is like, if you like Negronis, this is a more bitter, like in your face, awesome flavor Negroni. So they're, they're delicious. And one of my favorite so, cocktails from our old menu. Oh, so good. And then, so while, 
while you were um, managing bartending, is is that kind of where the competing in cocktail competitions began? Like, is yeah. that where it kind of yeah. started? Because uh, yeah. I definitely, because I know you were definitely participating in them while you were working there. Because I think I remember we, Bob and I came in the one time, and you had this whole like ridiculous story about like you thought you had missed your flight or it was like on the wrong day. And it was like this whole like debacle. Cause I think you were, you were flying or maybe it was like a camp, some sort of. Um... Yeah. So that was, a, that was later down the line, but yeah, that's. <laughs> that, so I'm like, man, I that can, is a story. Yeah. <laughs> I, so one of the benefits of the capital competitions is at a certain level, you usually end up getting to travel to either the place where they distill or brew or make the actual spirit or beer, many of the competition or you go to some kind of regional area to compete. Philadelphia, thankfully being kind of a somewhat mid-Atlantic hub, was often the center point for a lot of the regional locations for competing. So I didn't have to travel too much to just enter and successfully get in the first stage, but I did have to enter in the first place and hear about them. The way I heard about them is mostly through my peers in Philadelphia. So uh, there's an organization called United States Bartending Guild, and there's a chapter here in Philadelphia and I am currently the president of the chapter in Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't at, realize yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the time, I was just, you know, a bartender interested in learning. And the foundation of the USBG is to support uh, and promote the education of bartending and uh, increase hospitality and its awareness uh, throughout our country and the world. It's part of a national, uh, uh, sorry, global organization called the International Bartenders Association. The USBG is kind of the American, uh, North American like arm of that. And America has always been a great locate, great place for cocktail innovation and creativity. And it's our our unique our unique options and vibe and creative creativity and kind of you know multicultural aspect is really like taking cocktails to a new level globally. So now now a lot of these cool concepts and techniques are being mirrored and uh, you know even often uh, made better, like improved upon in other foreign places that used to hold on to very traditional methods are now trying new techniques similar to kind of what happens with beer. You know, we have so much more access to what we can do with beer here than the super strict laws that you see in Europe. Um, so I had friends who were in the USBG and, you know, urged me to join it to learn and to grow my knowledge and grow my experience and network. And the USBG also works with major brands to host cocktail competitions. You don't always have to be a member of the USBG to enter, but it certainly helps. And sometimes you do. So I heard about this competition. The first one I entered was hosted by Herradura Tequila. And it was That's their, right. mm -hmm. yeah, the margarita competition. It was their, they called them the tequila, Le tequila legends uh, competition. It was, you had to basically make your best version of a margarita and you entered and the winning, the winner got to go to the Hacienda in Mexico with the other winners from other regions. And the, in previous years, they had had the next Who level of competition. These competitions? Like how does the, for that yeah. first round, is it, um, how does that work? So the judging is usually uh, local. So they usually will hire some people who are, you know, the quote unquote luminaries in the field or well-respected and known in the area to judge it. Uh, often they might hire someone who's competed before, who has experience in competitions and knows what to look for in terms of a rubric, like understands the judging system, or it might be someone related to the brand as well, or it might be someone who, so like, you know, often it might be someone at the time I wasn't the president, it might be someone who's the president of the local USBG chapter, might be a judge in the competition, or it might be someone who's won the past year who's still in market, or someone who's written. Is it blind, or is it, um, do they know who is connected to what cocktail? 
so it's not blind. Uh, the original the, the co- co- competitions back then, at least, and some of them as you're going on now, we'll see what happens with everything with the world today, the pandemic. But um, <laughs> it wasn't blind. You got you entered your comp- you entered your cocktail, and I, the people who were on your who were judging locally, if you were making it to the regionals, uh, were you often might know who they were. Like they weren't they weren't just nobodies. You know, they weren't randomly selected. The people who judge you going into the actual that actual round. We're just from the company themselves, so they would hire other people. I don't know who they pick to judge those parts, but it's usually okay. someone who works for them, someone who may probably someone who's won before at a national level uh, for the competition. Uh, and it's also usually based off of what you submit. So you typically submit a recipe. Okay, that's uh, a photo, what I was going to ask. Is that kind of like part of your yeah. um, your application process? Like, mm-hmm. do you have to tell them like this is my plan and this is what I'm going to do? Yep, this is the recipe. Any unique ingredients or preparations? Explain how you make those. Uh, also, the whole like, how the cocktail is made. Usually, a photo of the cocktail as well. And uh, often, there's some sort of short essay question because they, in a sense, you get the feeling that these competitions are really quote unquote auditions for a brand representative job. You know, they want mm. people who are who kind of advocate for their brand to know the brand. And, they, you know, the reward is they'll send you to Mexico, <laughs> basically, or send you somewhere. So I wanted to go to Mexico badly. I wanted to meet other people who were competing at that level across the country. So it was my first competition. I won uh, with a margarita that uh, I called Trabalenguas. So it means tongue twister. And I used, I actually used an, a local pepper, a pepper that Jack grew at his farm. So to bring that back, my buddy Jack, who I started these dinners with, with that city garden, the farming bug bit him hard. And he stopped cooking and opened up his, started farming full time. So now he runs a farm called Urban Roots and he sells his produce to a lot of restaurants in the area. So I often would use his produce in my cocktails as an ingredient to try and use a local vegetable aspect because my culinary creations always typically start from food. And they go from there with flavor. So I think about like a food item and how I can use uh, the spirits that currently exist or infusions in a way to really elevate that element and bring that into a beverage for someone. So with his, with that dish, I made a margarita, a traditional build using their uh, blanc, their reposado tequila. So a little more depth in the flavor to some degree uh, with Herodera uh, reposado versus the Blanco. And I made a ahi dulce is the name of the pepper. I made an ahi dulce uh, juice. So I just juice the peppers. They're very thin peppers. They have this really uh, smoky, like, like they seem like they're going to be really hot. They look like habaneros, but they're not spicy really at all. It's like a smoky vegetable kind of character. It's really awesome. And uh, so I put, I did that. And I also pickled some of those peppers and I used a bar spoon of the pickled juice on top of the margarita kind of float to mimic the uh, salt and rim of a margarita, but mm-hmm. with a different kind of a complexity and fresh grapefruit juice, lime juice, reposado and the ahi pepper juice. So at first it smells like there's going to be like a spicy margarita, but it just tastes like this full fruity vegetable character. And it was really, really cool. Um, got a lot of, a lot of good ideas and uh, feedback from that. And I called it trouble English because it means tongue twister. So the idea was it kind of plays with your, you're sensational. You taste it, you think it's going to be spicy, and it's actually kind of smoky and sweet, and it kind of builds in the complexity and flavor as it's on your palate for like a ride. So, talk about that. margaritas, you made um, at an event that I attended, hosted by uh, our mutual friend Meredith, um, who was mm-hmm. actually on season one of Beyond the Venue podcast. Um, you made this like absolutely delicious watermelon margarita, and I know you it, you had a different name for it, but yeah, um, it's. It, do you just love kind of creating like different approaches to margaritas and will I ever get to see that margarita at one of the places that you work? 
So I do love margaritas. I, agave spirits are my favorite in the world. Uh, I actually have a little bit of Tobala from Mezcalavago in my glass right now. <laughs> cheers. Uh, cheers. Um, so good every time. Margaritas are great. They're the most popular cocktail in the world and for a reason. When they're done well, they are incredibly refreshing and balanced and it's a lovely way to experience fresh citrus juice and a little bit of sweetener and this wonderful agave as well, typically in the form of uh, tequila, which is made from Blue Weber agave specifically. But you can play it up with different things. It's a wonderful baseline for uh, playing with the idea of what a cocktail can be using as few ingredients as possible, fresh as possible to deliver this experience. Um, cocktail I made for uh, the yeah the ice event with uh, with uh, Peter Slavin and Meredith that was an awesome time was a watermelon margarita called the Sandia Sueño, which means like watermelon dream. And I use yes, uh, yes, I will yeah. agree to that. <laughs> it was an absolute dream. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I got to use uh, Peter's awesome ice tools to make these kind of clouds of of ice on top of the drink, and I salted that to to also do a different kind of thing. So it's this little salted pillow that set on top of the glass and kind of hung out on your lips as you approached it, give you this aroma of kind of being near the sea, even though we were, it was a very hot day and we were near a little creek, but I wanted that to make you feel like you were on vacation in a sense. So sun was shining. We had fresh watermelon juice, uh, some lime and grapefruit in there as well. Tequila Ocho makes an incredible Blanco tequila. Their artisanal tequila, single kind, single kind of varietal vintages that they make. Uh, that tequila is, is available in Pennsylvania and I'm hoping to use it. Uh, it actually comes, it's actually part of the parent company that I am with, with Philadelphia Distilling. So Samson and Surrey is a collective of brands. They kind of all are co-part owners of each other's distilling company. So Philadelphia Distilling is where they make Blue Coat Gin and a few other products. So people know, know of it as Blue Coat, but it's Philadelphia Distilling. Philadelphia Distilling, uh, Tequila Movement behind Tequila Ocho, Mezcal Vago, few spirits out of Indiana. They make awesome bourbon, rye, and American whiskey are some of the companies that are that are under the umbrella of Samson and Surrey. So as a person working there, I have some access to those things. We don't carry them at Philadelphia Distilling because of the specific laws in Pennsylvania. So we would have to have um, Tequila Ocho mail us, send us up a tote, a large amount of that and bottle it at the distillery, which we could do for, in order for us to sell it on premise. But okay. as an employee, I can access it. And as a consumer in Philadelphia, you can access it. So other bars sell it. We actually do sell Ocho at the other bar that I work at, R&D, on Frankfurt Ave. And I was, as long as watermelons are in season, I'm happy to make it. So if you tell me you're coming up, I'll get some watermelons, juice them, and I'll have that ready for you. I can't give you the watermelon, the, the salted pillow on top because I don't have Peter's amazing Yeah, tools, you're not going to have Peter show up with his yeah, ice truck. Yeah, but I can, for... <laughs> I can make something. I can make like a saline spray and give you a little of that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool you if gotta, you came down. You got to make do. Well, well, speaking of trying to get creative and making do, um, what what did this last kind of insane year and a half look like for you? You know, because obviously, yeah. you know, you were kicking ass and taking names at Destination Dogs and, you know, we're all kind of going about our business and then March 2020 happens. And so what was kind of like your evolution? Because I, I, we had talked um, a while ago, actually, you know, <laughs> 
we reconnected during the pandemic because you uh it was very very sweet of you but you uh corrupted my spelling on <laughs> instagram oh post, yeah which i was very grateful for because you know instagram is me you know putting my myself and my business out there and yeah. i used the wrong um to suit your tastes and i spelled i, so. I, I used the wrong suit and so you privately messaged me and it's like hey so and also it was a lot better that you messaged me instead of putting it in the comments <laughs> oh yeah people do it all the time it's, it's so very rude. sweet <laughs> And so I was like, okay, perfect. I'll I'll update the Canva post and redo it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then it's like, well, how are you? What's going on? And so I guess at the time, Destination Dogs was looking for a new location because at 1111 Walnut, it just got to be ungodly expensive for the rent. And it's like, yeah. we, we can't do this anymore. Let's let's find a new home. So what mm-hmm. what was kind of all of all of that? And then and then obviously you ended up um at R and D and, and Philly Distilling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like everyone else, was, I mean, a lot of my friends were near the top of their game, so to speak. We were crashing it the year before that year. I was I was doing, Destination Dogs was doing better than ever. They were talking about actually making me uh, kind of the director of, like, beverage operations for the company. So they were interested in opening new locations. They wanted me to create a menu pr- plan and a beverage program plan for the company as whole. And it was, I was, I was probably going to spend some, have to a little bit my basement travel more with the company to open new locations. There was super cool idea and everything got just, you know, the wind right out the sails pandemic cut everything off of the knees. And I had already, I had at that point done enough competitions in Philadelphia and gotten enough recognition from brands as kind of a Phil person to talk to about competing or being involved with helping push brand ideas in this collaborative learning atmosphere that competitions can be as in, in this market, which they hadn't really had that much before. A lot of people in Philadelphia just never really entered these competitions. You know, they were around and they thought about it or they never really entered them seriously. Brands have had a hard time getting uh, people to show up to events. And I was trying to change that culture through my own uh, experience and action and also advocate it on behalf uh, for us, because it was a chance for us to learn and meet new people and get out of our, our wonderful bubble of Philly. I mean, I love this place, but I like to see other people and do other things, too. And you can't get everything from one spot. So it was important to me to expand my horizon through these experiences. And when it came to a halt uh, and these brands had a little bit of money left over for their budget, they were thinking of ways to support our community. So I was someone they talked to about how, what can we do? Like I was also the USBG president still. Or I wasn't the president, but I was a, I was a director. I'm still a director of the chapter as well. So it's kind of a separate role, like an overseeing role. I'm also on the council as the president. And so I give them some ideas, and they're figuring out ways to kind of help us out financially within the legal you know parameters of what they could do. They couldn't just give us money directly, but they could have us design cocktails or do sort of talks. So I did a lot of that for a few different brands. So I was a member of a few different panels about the experience of being a person of color in our industry during the pandemic and it was paid for my time during that. I created some cocktails for a few brands as well. Um, uh, I, my, this is my connection through Bombay Sapphire and McCarty. I was given a stipend to do some, some, some work as well. And I used some of the money that I made that was access to keep myself afloat and to also give it pay for to people I knew who were also in a uh, more heart, more dire scenario. So I was happy to do that. Help out some friends. Uh, who obviously I won't name, and uh, it was it was an interesting time. I got some time to self reflect. You know, I'm I think naturally a, do a pretty good balance of my introversion and extroversion as a person. So it wasn't really problematic for me to be home by myself with my own thoughts. I just had to reorganize my life a little bit in terms of my sleep schedule and just paying attention to what I was eating and being careful 
and I got on employment. That was going okay. It took a while for it to come, but it did come. Like it's actually down to my last hundred bucks when it finally all came down. So I was filing and it hadn't come in for whatever delay. And then I got a huge chunk of money one day, paid off a bunch of old bills and was back to okay. This my life's been like that financially, these roller coasters of like getting a lot of savings and all getting depleted. Like so, you know, I'm I'm at a more stable place now, thankfully. But I just used my experience and my personality to kind of blaze my own trail. Something I learned from my dad, you know, it wasn't going to work out for me to try and find a bar that was still open and not adhering to pandemic guidelines. Like that was risky and something I didn't want to advocate for or promote. So when I got the chance to get back into the game of working, I did it carefully. Um, I was... Because of my connections, uh, one of my friends, Rich Liebensberger, who was the Origlio rep, I don't know if you know that guy, he was on the beer side of things also. He talked to the people at Moriarty's and got me a job in there. Uh, mm -hmm. And I started to work there. And then my friend uh, Genevieve, who works for Fernet, got me a job at Blind Barber. And then Canyon uh, Shayer, a bartender friend of mine, talked to me about working at Philadelphia Stilling. And I had friends who worked there before. And I was close to home and I knew it was a great bar. I wasn't sure about the money scenario, so I, but that, that ended up being very lucrative for me. And then I was literally about to go into my second day of training at Philadelphia Distilling the next morning after doing a cocktail photo shoot, uh, which is another thing I started doing uh, for Terra Mana Tequila. When I got call, I was at work after the shoot at Blind Barber, got a call from my brother, unfortunately, that my father had passed away. Mm. So I left for all of March and then came to be with my family and help them with that process. And it was the only, I mean, the main upside of that was that it brought us all together after being apart for so long in the pandemic. So we were happy to all be there together. And it was a good thing for all of us to be able to experience that together and not have to do it separately. You know, I think a lot of families went through that, um, that accessor thing, losing someone they cared about. It wasn't to COVID. It was just his own health issues. But it was definitely a blow for my family. I was something that I kind of prepared myself for beforehand. And I was fortunate enough, since I live here, and even though I was in the pandemic, I was in Philadelphia, and they were only in New Jersey. Occasionally, we saw each other when it started to become safe enough to do that after we were both vaccinated. Um, we kept a distance. We weren't. You know, They came down once a week. They sat outside, and I was upstairs, like kind of talked through the distance, you know. So I got to see him in ways that my brothers didn't, and that gave me some time to get closer to him in this weird space that we were in, uh, just being in the world and being a family, this you know, separated because of this, which a lot of people, lot of people can relate to. Um, but yeah, and I came back to Philadelphia. Basically, the job was still on the table for me at Moriarty's and at Philadelphia Distilling. So I took oh, those nice. jobs. That's blind great that barber. They were yeah, that was, that was they great still needed they the help. Yeah, yeah, they were happy to have me back. Blind Barber had moved on, and that was okay. It was a good. But I'm not familiar us. with Blind Barber. Is that in New Jersey or is that? No, it's in Philly. Yeah, it's a, it's a small. It's on. Oh Sansom wait a minute, Street. is that um, uh, Bryce Harper's bar? He is a part owner of the bar. Okay, but that's he, that's how I yeah. know of it. It's yeah. like a barber yeah. shop and a it's a barber bar. shop and a and a bar and a, and a speakeasy, quote unquote, okay. behind it. But it, there's no code. You can just go in uh, when it's open. Uh, yeah, and I was, you know, it was a cool location. Just wasn't working out. I'm not going to bad talk them. It just wasn't working out for me in a way. And, and they were, they, yeah, they were very, they were very nice. I mean, literally, it was the middle of my shift on a Friday night. There, when I got the call, they allowed me to leave. They were very cordial and uh, gracious about that. I'm so grateful to uh, the managers for uh, for dealing with it that way and giving me the option to get, take that time. Uh, so 
uh, I let them know as soon as I knew when I was going to be back and they just, they'd already found someone. They said they would let me know. But it ended up being good that we had, but it was a good break. Uh, so I went back to Philadelphia Ceiling and I was at Moriarty's and I got an opportunity to go to R&D because they had one of their very tight knit staff members was leaving the industry and mm-hmm. they had all been working together since they opened. So it wasn't a place you could get a job really. Uh, right. And, you know, that was one of the things that changed in this new uh, world, uh, new pandemic world, is that people were shifting out of these positions and, you know, kind of moving around and finding new places to work. So they knew who I was. I knew who they were. They were in my neighborhood. I would go there whenever I could to get a good drink, you know, and I knew I recognized it early on as a place that I would I would have liked to have worked if I wasn't so tied into Destination Dogs, so fully ingrained in their program because I, you know, believed in that thing with I put as much as I could into that company without being an owner, honestly. Uh, of Destination when, Dogs. I so. was curious like what the timeline was with like when did you kind of realize that all right, Destination Dogs is not gonna be finding a new home and like I need to move on and and do something yeah. else? Well, I think that is something that isn't like even totally fully sank in for me it's just i knew that i knew that i couldn't wait for them to find a new place you know like it wasn't there wasn't going to be work for me with them until there was you know and in the meantime i needed to continue to be who i was and create and work and enjoy my life i needed to work to do that so i'm just fortunate that i'd done enough work in philadelphia as a bartender who people knew to get these amazing offers at places that I respected, you know, and to be able to understand like who to talk to about the office spaces and to make sure that it was going to be a good fit for me. So I'm very lucky. I can walk to work. Both my places are within walking distance of my home. I know the people who are involved at, mo- at all levels I need to know within the company. So who I respect and who's, uh, whose values are similarly aligned with mine. Uh, very and important. They, they very important, hugely important. And you know, the diversity is growing in both of those places also. So that's important to me. And yeah, I am very, very lucky with my current scenario. I had to leave Moriarty's because I couldn't do that place and fluid distilling. And yeah, three R&D. jobs is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It was <laughs> On a lot. top of all the start. competitions that you participate in yeah. as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, overseeing the USBG, like that's, you're busy. I'm busy. I try you're to stay busy. busy, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's helpful to be busy and it keeps me on my toes, literally, like moving around and, and trying new places out and uh, figuring out ways to kind of lift Philadelphia up, uh, trying to be a young leader in this city. So I think that this place has so much to offer. And those both these places I currently work are great places to experience a great cocktail and they care about what we do in our industry as well. So they're for collaboration. They have a spirit of that. And that's obviously yeah, it's important to me. And we have a great time doing it. We have fun, we laugh, and we work hard. So I'm, Philly I'm, Distilling I'm is one of the most gorgeous places in Philadelphia. That was one. Speaking of, the, of venues, it's really nice. That is that is one of my favorite venues, and that was actually one of the places. Um, I can't believe it was two and a half years ago at this point, but uh, my friend Howe, uh, who is, um, I guess I call him an amateur photographer just because he doesn't do it professionally, but he's very talented and his taken several classes so he did a photo shoot with me um so i did like the whole hair and makeup so i could have like promotional photos for my Mm -hmm. business for mg the venue specialist and i was like we have to go to philly to ceiling because it's just it's beautiful i i think i know how also yeah yeah absolutely oh absolutely we've you you absolutely do Yeah, yep. He would come in my and friend, play pool. Yeah, my yes, he he uh, is in a pool league. Um, and bowling, so not, right? Pool league and bowling. Mm-hmm. 
So, and That's you right. know, our, our weekend visits, uh, to stop by destination dogs, um, in the past. So, yeah. um, well, when it comes to the, the cocktail competitions, do you have anything on your radar or anything that you're working towards or preparing for? Yeah. yeah so they're kind of, uh, and semi full swing again. I mean, mostly they're doing it virtually and finding ways to make it work. Uh, and what I think they hope is a post zoom fatigue era, which I don't know if it's totally true, but I mean, any of us who were still sort of working in, our, in this industry in some capacity knew that most of the chance for education opportunities were via zoom. So a lot of us got tired of just logging in and trying to cheers a very sterile screen like this. It didn't feel the same. So uh, it's hard Especially to- Especially when we're such hospitality people and like love interacting with human beings. Yeah, exactly. And the vibe, it's, it's a different thing. It's a little it's a little more, I don't know, it's not phony, it's just less organic. Less feels less authentic, even though it's actually happening at the same time. It's just odd. It's an odd way to, to, to operate for us. It's a new mode of uh, trying to do these things. So I actually am- currently in a competition for makers mark with uh makers mark partner with black restaurant week organization that started in houston houston texas um they do a few different restaurant weeks throughout the uh country in different major areas and they started last year this is their second year doing this cocktail competition called power of the palate and the goal is to find the best black bartender in the country so you have to submit a cocktail using Maker's Mark ingredients and kind of tied initially to some theme. The initial theme was uh, rep your city or like rep your set. And so I created an egg white sour cocktail using uh, long hot peppers that I Oh, candied. that's very Philly. And yeah, very Philly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> love those things. And uh, long hot peppers that I candied and also uh, red and black plums that were in season, the puree. So I also, and I, then I made a cane syrup using the long hot pepper infusion. And instead of using water, I used a honeysuckle sunflower, honeysuckle sun tea syrup. So I made a sun tea. It was like a porch tea. You just put kind of tea in a large glass container in the sun and brew it all day. Something I learned from my mom. So it was part of my own childhood familial experience. Um, and I used that instead of water to kind of give a tannic quality to the cane syrup I made. And then I infused that syrup with the peppers. And that was the sweetener instead of simple syrup in the cocktail. Some fresh lime juice, peppers, and the plums. And it was really, and they was really, really tasty. It's a beautiful delicious. red color. It was great. Yeah. So where are you at uh, as, as far as like the stages of the yeah. cocktail competition? So I won the local competition for Philadelphia. Of course you did. Of course you Thank did. you. <laughs> so now I'm in the Eastern Regional. So I am competing against three other bartenders for the regionals, the two regional spots. So there's a bartender out of D.C., one out of Baltimore, one out of New York. And we find out actually today, this Ooh. evening, yeah, who uh, won Judge's Choice and who won People's Choice. So you can still vote for it. I don't know. I, I know this podcast isn't going to be playing in time for that, I don't think. But you can vote, people can vote for that competition. There'll be more voting in a future round. So whenever this is released, please look it up. BlackRestaurantWeek.com. You can look at follow the through their website for the cocktail competition. The cocktail competition is going through until I think the end of October because there's multiple stages. So each, I know so I the definitely next, voted for you first. I, I think appreciate this is, has, has this been going on for like a couple weeks? A couple weeks now. Yeah. So yep, it was, they were supposed to let us know. I definitely saw it on your Instagram. I thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the voting was supposed to end last week. They had to extend it because they had to get the video footage all together and, you know, corrected, edited for this. So they're going to do a little cocktail uh kind of edit edited like recap of all, all people's competitions all people's cocktails who entered for the eastern regional so all four of us 
And uh, when we did it, we did a virtual uh, Zoom thing. So I actually had to ma- overnight mail some of my ingredients to Atlanta where the judges were tasting them, where they had a bartender make the cocktails for judges in person, which is a great way to do it if we couldn't be there together so that we had someone that they trusted, who we had to trust to present these drinks to them the way that we would. They were basically an extension of our hands. So we had to give them explicit instructions about what needed to be done and how, how to present the drinks. And and then we we virtually did it ourselves at our home base. So I shot that at R&D with some close friends in the background. My mom came down and I dedicated the cocktail to uh, my mom and dad's union because I, the sun thing something I learned from my mom and learning to cook, which I applied some of those culinary techniques to the process of making some of the garnish that I learned from my father uh, to the drink. And it, fit, it was very fitting because Black Restaurant Week is all about, you know, that innovation in the kitchen as well and throwing a bigger spark to make this cocktail thing. We know that food and drink pair well together when they're done well. So I wanted to kind of bring that together. And I made a little dish that was my, one of my father's favorite dishes as a complimentary uh, snack to the cocktail that I presented as well. So what it's really nice snack? to have her there. What was the complimentary snack? Oh yeah, it's something my father used to call Italian tacos. So it's uh, it's really good. It's make you basically make a little meat sauce with uh, some fresh mirepoix, so some kind of carrots, onions, and a little, uh, a little bit of celery and uh, ground veal, uh, cream of sherry, uh, a little bit of some spice, salt, pepper, garlic powder, fresh garlic, and you melt. You put that on a little potato crisp. So you kind of mandolin slice potatoes semi thinly, deep fry them so they're crispy and still a little pliable. And you put a little dollop of like kind of like meat mixture on top, and you melt Gruyere cheese. Oh, sorry, Fontina cheese on top. You put a little, put a little bit of pico de gallo and a little bit of uh, red wine vinegar, and it's really, really, they're really, really bright, flavorful, and and creamy and delicious. So that's awesome. Made a, well, that's several trays of that. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the the next things I wanted to bring up. So one of the common themes that came up a lot in season one was talking about mental health. And especially now that we're really seeing, you know, I think our world is starting to realize that like, there's a huge reason why a lot of people are not returning to the hospitality industry. So whether it's front of house, sure. back of house, um, you know, bartending, it's, it's late hours. So, um, you know, and also bartenders have been kind of known to be like a therapist where you, you yeah. know, just get to listen to the person on the other side of the bar. So, you know, has, is therapy a part of your life at all? Do you feel like a therapist uh, when you're, when mm-hmm. you're behind the bar? Um, you know, and I think it's probably a little bit different now with like creating the cocktails and spending a lot more time with the cocktail creation versus when you're like kind of pouring beer and have a little bit more time to speak mm-hmm. to your customers. But what, what does kind of like therapy look like in, in your world? So I don't currently uh, see a therapist. I'm in the process of trying to find one. I do think it's very important and helpful for everyone. The same way you take care of any other organ or part of your your your, your body for health reasons, you need to do the same thing with your psyche. So I'm I mental health is health. Huge, huge advocate for it. And it's something that I'm happy to see. We're starting to finally not finally, slowly, but seems seemingly, seemingly surely get a grip about being able to discuss openly. You know, it used to be something that definitely in the African-American community that was sort of a taboo discussion. If you were labeled crazy for any sort of reason, that wasn't valid, honestly. And we're starting to realize that people really do need help and need to learn how to deal with their anxieties and stressors in a positive way that is proactive and not reactive. We're often faced with challenges that put us in a position where it's impossible to be proactive for being reactive because we haven't taken time to learn about how our minds and souls operate within our profession. So I'm seeing a lot of spaces for people in our industry to talk about their issues and to share 
how they've dealt with them uh, you know, progressively and positively, which is amazing. A lot of that developed in the pandemic because a lot of us were stuck at home with our thoughts and weren't happy being there. You know, we had all this time and we didn't know what to do with it. And we create social connection. We're hyper social creatures, especially a lot of us that are in the industry. And, you know, it was very weird time and place for that. So I was, I listened to a lot of things and I learned a lot of perspective from that. And I have a lot of connections for that. So I'm someone who, even though I don't seek, currently seek out that help myself, I'm in the process of looking for that. I'm always happy to be an ear for that. My mother said, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So I've tried to live my life by that. And I'm happy to listen. I do definitely wear the quote unquote therapist hat. It's one of the many hats I wear as a bartender. And we have shifted a little bit away from a little, little bit away from the across the bar experience of you, you know, telling me what how your day was, because a lot of our setups in the pandemic for health reasons have been that we've all become kind of service bartenders. We're not everybody is allowing bar seating. Some places you're allowed to do that, but what ha- what's happened for me is that I've become kind of a hybrid. We call them kind of floor tenders. So a lot of places, especially where I currently work, there's no dedicated bartender. Everyone's trained to bartend. And it means that people who are on the floor who would have been who you might have called your server beforehand, not waiter, which is that's a bad term. Server is a bit personal to say it, um, are people who do know as much as the person who's mixing the actual drink and may even know more than that person in terms of actual knowledge. So the guest is in a better place to experience this experience. And you can start to kind of have these conversations table side that you would have had at the bar. So there's still a little space for that. I still feel a little bit of that. You know, my friends still come in and see me and we have discussions. It's just in a slightly different part of the building. That's all. So I, I in my role at, in, in the USBG, I hugely support that. And I and a lot of brands have also now taken up the mantle of creating these spaces for us to do that. So they'll hire health, mental health advocates and coaches to lead discussions for people who are dealing with those issues in whatever capacity. And it's such a wonderful way for us to to really start to take tackle this tack this problem of uh, people not feeling they can come out and speak about what's what's really affecting them, and it really leads to a lot of pain and suffering in our lives. So I'm help, I'm happy to see this kind of turn to the corner of what's going on. We still have a lot of growth to do in that in that field, but I'm That's here for a long it. way to Absolutely. go. But I I love um, the strides that are being made and. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, one of my goals is to just keep normalizing it and keep talking yeah, about it. Absolutely. So, um, absolutely. That's awesome that you're able to to do that through the brands and through the USBG. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Saul, the last question that I have for you today is what is your favorite venue? Could be anywhere in the world. So my favorite, I would say my, my favorite outside venue is actually this place I haven't been to in so long, but. There's a little farm in Vermont called uh, the on a, on a place called the Mountain School in Versailles, Vermont. And I went there as a student in boarding school uh, to live and work on a farm and learn about sustainability when I was a junior in high school. So amazing. it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world. And there's a little spot on there called Garden Hill. We all walked up there to have our graduation. It's like overlooks of uh, the Green Mountains in Vermont. And it's incredibly breathtaking. It's where I want my, I want my ashes to go in the apple orchard just up the hill from there. Like it's just amazingly beautiful spot um that's indoor sorry that's outdoor indoor might be philadelphia distilling it is so, it is nice so beautiful <laughs> it is absolutely beautiful it is really really nice i mean i haven't been to any of the seven wonders of the world i haven't been to even europe at all so this is coming from a limited travels perspective and i've been to beautiful spots in mexico at different haciendas but i mean yeah i just like that spot a lot it just feels 
a great little place. So those are some of my favorite places to be. Well, it's cool to hear about the farm. So it sounds like the the farm life has been in your blood uh, for quite yeah. some time. Sometimes, <laughs> you, were, yeah. you were always destined to be to be working with your buddy on his his farm here in Philadelphia. So yeah. Um, well, uh, can you please let our listeners know uh, how they can follow you and stay up sure. to date with uh, all your moving and your shaking, as well as um, if you wanted to highlight the places that you work as well? Absolutely. So I am. Uh, I work Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at R&D Cocktail Bar. It's at 1206 Frankfurt Avenue. You can follow them on Instagram at rdphilly um, or website rndphilly. I think it's their website name. And it's an Amazing cocktail the letter experience. R, ampersand, letter Ampersand D. D. Yep. So like research and development. Research and development because we research and develop cocktails. So that is an incredible place. Um, team is led by Aaron uh, Deary and Risa Miller, and they do incredible things. And they it's a collaborative experience. So they do lead it, but we, we are often tasked with helping develop cocktails or names or kind of ideas for the menu. And it does change periodically as well. And a, a, a good off a good amount of time actually. They opened up a couple of years ago and kind of catapulted themselves high up to the list of very good cocktail bars in the city. So I have a blast working there. Very creative space, very dedicated team and a solid team as well. So we're, it's a friendly place. It's a not outstanding not, customer not service. Stuffy. Yeah, you don't yeah. feel you don't feel like bad if you have questions and ev- no, everyone's not at super all. lovely that that works not there at for all. sure. Yeah. And you can also go there and just get a highlight if you want and on the cocktail. It's totally fine. Some good snacks, but it's definitely a places focus on the beverage experience more than the food and there's plenty of great food around the area too so we are really yeah, no shortage of restaurants there. in fish town <laughs> at, all, at all and then on sundays i am at uh philadelphia distillings tasting room so beautiful bar and uh sundays are usually a bit of a slower day for us on average compared to the weekend so it's a great day to work also if you're in the industry it's 50 off cocktails all day on sunday so now, to find a, industry, do uh, venue specialists count for that? I think they do. I think <laughs> they do count. Former former beer reps. Uh... I think they totally do, and we we are generous. <laughs> it's a wonderful place, so we can do that. Actually, speaking of uh, that relationship that we have, uh, MG, I am trying to get them to do the frozen aviation there at our frozen machine. So. Just so you know, and we use. They probably Blue won't have a big buck hunter machine, but I. <laughs> I can't do that yet, but you know, you can always go treat the barcade and play buck hunter possibly. It's true. Yeah. I don't think does yeah. barcade have a big buck hunter machine? I don't know. I should have been there. I feel like they're pretty. They have a lot of games. They're pretty limited. I know there weren't like okay. Destination Dogs was one of the few places that had one. So okay. and then I was completely devastated when we went to Las Vegas Lounge a couple weeks ago, and they have mm. removed their big buck hunter machine. So oh, I don't man. know if it's just in storage due to. Um, you know, COVID, because I yeah. can definitely see where, you know, that's not going to work, but yeah. I was, was pretty disappointed. Um, but I, <laughs> there's obviously much bigger issues at hand. So yeah, that's <laughs> I, true. I, I, I will, I will get over this. I will tackle the aviation um, first and we'll get to the game. <laughs> um, oh, can you let our listeners know uh, about your Instagram handle and where sure. they can follow you? Absolutely. So uh, my Instagram handle is just my name, Solomon K. Thomas. That's S-O-L-O-M. O-N-K as in Kite, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. Just that, Solomon K. Thomas. And then on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash Sol K. Thomas. So S-O-L-K Thomas also. So I'm on those sites. Uh, I don't really use Twitter or anything else. But Instagram is where I'm kind of slowly trying to build a bit of my own like consulting brand idea. I'm trying to do more of these 
collaborative things with uh, my friends who work in other cities and within brand with brands as well outside of just the single brick and mortar place. One thing I learned in the pandemic is that, you know, as much as I do like working in a single place, it's not totally sustainable to link myself 100% to one building. This could happen again. Don't want to just trying to be proactive about that. So also gives me a chance to work in different spheres, which are something I'm always down for. So uh, you can look for me there. I'll post things about the competitions I'm in and ideas I have. And in terms of the United States Bartending Guild, please look that up if you're interested in learning about it. You don't have to be a bartender to be, be a member of that at all. You can be an enthusiast or on the brand side as well. There are different membership tiers for that. It's just a great resource for learning about uh, more about just what you can do with spirits and how to elevate hospitality in our neighborhoods and in our own community. So that's usbg.org is the website. And it's a great place to learn and people. So. Well, I'm I'm definitely pulling for you, and I hope that you get some tremendous news about the cocktail competition this evening. Thank you. Um, we'll absolutely share that uh, news with our listeners, and I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today. I've absolutely loved this conversation, Thanks, and yeah. look forward to uh, seeing you in person again very soon. Yeah, let's make it happen. Come visit me. Nora. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thanks, MG.